Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. And joining me, sitting across from me in the fine Yahoo Studios down here in downtown Toronto, is my good buddy Justin Cuthbert. Bit of a mess right now in here. It is a bit of a mess. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, but you this know is what, what post-deadline looks like. It was an intense day. I mean, obviously, this wasn't my, wasn't my first uh, first deadline on the job, but this one was particularly hectic, and which is weird because it started off so slow, but we were like, I mean, you and I recorded a video analyzing the cliff poo for a future considerations trade, and then all of a sudden you get like 10 actual meaningful ones. Yeah, it, it basically, we needed to waste a little bit of time because I don't think that did make it to air for, you know, things that, but that's, that's what happens in these. Well, okay, let's, let's, we're, we're, we're bearing the lead here. Let's, I mean, people that follow me on Twitter know that uh, I've joined Yahoo and yeah. the PDO cast is now going to be on Yahoo as well. And um, I feel like we should give people a little bit of a sort of a, a map of what our plans are, I guess, for the Definitely. coverage of the rest of the season, right? Since we're going to be working pretty intimately. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously tremendously excited to have you on, but I think the important thing is the PDO cast doesn't change, right? This yep. is your baby, and and uh, we were interested in in what you put together here, which is, in my opinion, the best hockey podcast going. So we're so happy Justin, to have you on. You're already on the show. You don't have to. I know, I know. I don't have okay. to do that. But I'm, you know, right right across from yeah. I got to, you know, heap praise on to you a little bit. Uh, yeah, but we're tremendously excited. Obviously, we're, you know, Plans are still being worked out right. with what we're going to do, but hopefully we'll do some fun video stuff. Uh, we did some fun video stuff today. We'll do some fun video stuff throughout the playoffs and uh, obviously build on the empire, the podcast yes. empire. Well, yeah, I think that's an important thing to stress because I know people are sometimes scared off by change and mm-hmm. you know, the natural question is like, how is this going to affect the PDO cast? And I just wanted to put that to rest because it's going to be the same show that if you've been listening uh, for the past however many months slash years. Um, expect more of the same if anything hopefully we'll be able to improve the audio quality and get to do shows more frequently and yeah. uh, i know like you and i for example hopefully in the first round of the playoffs especially when there's games four or five games every night we'll be uh, able to do them more frequently and churn them out 
at a faster rate so people can listen to them before the next games. Yeah, and there'll be plenty of things to talk about. Obviously, I mean, we were talking earlier. We've been clamoring for some news. Yep. We got some news today. We'll yes. have some news in the playoffs. So plenty of talk, plenty to talk about down the line. Plenty of to-, to talk about today after what was, as you mentioned, a pretty pretty busy deadline at the end. Yeah. So you and I have been uh, we've been sitting and talking talking hockey all day basically. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that haven't checked it out, please go on all the uh, social platforms and go on Yahoo and check out some of the videos we did. We uh, we launched the Shirelli scale, creating yes. some of the trades based on uh, you know I think okay trades to hall for larson uh, yes i mean the scale was sort of you know it went from questionable to hall from larson so that is a bit of a i know that's skewing towards bad and there wasn't too many bad bad deals today no uh there was a couple that did you know make a ripple on that meter but uh for the most part i think general managers handled themselves pretty well today but uh you know we can still poke fun at peter shirelli we'll do it well i did feel like um especially this past week, it felt like every deal, I don't know if this is necessarily a new thing or recency bias or if it has been going on before, but it felt like every deal had these like conditional picks attached. And I mm-hmm. had, I don't remember this in the past being this big of a thing. Like it felt like a lot of these were teams sort of protecting themselves from the idea of giving up a lot for a rental by say, putting these clauses in saying, yeah, we'll give you a better pick if this guy signs. And in most of these cases, like in the Matt Zuccarello one, for example, where it goes from a third to a first if he re-signs with them, like I think that's a pretty clear indicator that the team's probably not keeping him in their long-term plans. So you got to factor that in as well. And, and it makes sense from both sides, but it felt like that was kind of one of the most common themes. And it led to a lot of sensible trades because yeah. there weren't too many high picks being dished out without that kind of fail-safe option in there. See, I don't mind those gambles. Yeah, When you look at... I guess what the Senators have been doing, they got one attached to Eric Carlson. I mean, San Jose is going to make do everything in their power to try and re-sign Eric Carlson, right. I believe. And then they got one attached to Duchesne where it improves to a, a first-round pick if the Blue Jackets do retain Duchesne. And, and with Panarin and Bobrovsky potentially leaving, I think you'd probably put Duchesne or you'd probably put Columbus right. at the top of the list of, of suitors for Duchesne because they can pay him the most money and they're going to be a little bit desperate. So I think it's a it's a... It's definitely an interesting development. I think it's a good gamble in some some respects. In, in the case of Zuccarello, maybe it's not. Maybe it doesn't mean that much. Right. I mean, if it does move through a first rounder, it would. But maybe that deters uh, the For Dallas sure. Stars from yeah. retaining uh, Zuccarello. But with these important players involved in them, I mean, there is obviously interest beyond this season. And I think in the case of the Senators, it's a pretty good gamble on some of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll get more. We'll talk more about the Senators here in a bit because they're obviously one of the teams we're going to be highlighting. I, th- I thought it'd be kind of a fun exercise, and obviously this is still very raw and very fresh. I mean, we're literally recording this an hour or so after mm-hmm. the deadline passed, and most of these deals still haven't really sunk in and, and formalized yet. But we're going to sort of do a little preliminary uh, winners and losers, um, and I think it's going to be a good exercise because I think it's a bit of a cop out when people say like you can't evaluate this stuff till after the fact because it's like it's not how trades really work. Like when you're a GM making a trade. You can only really evaluate it based on the information the guy had at the time. Obviously, you know, Matt Zuccarello, for example, is a great example for this. Yeah. Gets injured in his first game with the Senators. I, that shouldn't affect our evaluation of the initial trade because it's not like Jim Nell could have possibly known that. No, he couldn't. Have. And, there, and listen, there's going to be few winners if you actually do evaluate trades long after they're done because few teams actually attain the success that they're aiming to. So uh, if you do limit yourself that way, then you know it's going to be a very small list of teams you can actually appreciate with well, I, what they've done. And I think that is a bit of a dirty little secret. I know TSN during their broadcast today aired the graphic of like the last handful or whatever, seven or eight uh, Stanley Cup champions and what they did at the deadline. Mm-hmm. 
And I think one great example is obviously the Jeff Carter trade for the Kings the year they first won the Cup, where they bring him in and all of a sudden they ascend and become this dominant possession team that just runs away with the yeah. title. But for the most part, a lot of these are like tinkering on the margins. You see a lot of like adding a third pair in defenseman or a fourth line center or something like that. There's, I think the history of teams making a splash trade at the deadline and then that guy becoming a hero and winning that team a Stanley Cup mm-hmm. is probably pretty... Like I feel like the it's a pretty limited um, sample size of that ever happening. Not that it should deter teams from trying to make their teams better at the deadline, but it's like you got to kind of keep that as a little con- contextual sort of thing to consider. It is small. You did mention the Kings. Yep. They had sort of, they have a little bit of that success with Marion Gabrick too, who scored right. a bunch of goals in that run um, after, I guess, the, the Carter edition. But if you look back at last year, Michael Kempney's earned some, you know, cult yep. hero status for being one of the guys that sort of put them over the top. But generally, it is those smaller deals that have the big impacts. And often you see, you know, the player added, he's, they're able to, the team is able to retain that player. And, the, you know, it's a good deal because of that. But in terms of pure rentals, pure rentals that help teams win the Stanley Cup, uh, sometimes they're few and far between. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into it. Let's, I think let's, we should start out West. Yeah. Um, because it did feel like in terms of all the shaking and moving that happened today, the biggest ramifications are out West for the playoff picture because we saw a handful of the teams, especially out in the Central with that arms race materializing between Winnipeg and Nashville. Both of them went out and made some pretty big splashes, uh, throw Vegas into that mix. So it felt like the West and even San Jose with their Nyquist acquisition yesterday, yeah. it feels like all the best teams in the West sort of pushed their chips in and made their move. Whereas in the East, obviously Tampa Bay kind of just stood pat because it's like, what do you get someone who already has everything? And then a team like the Leafs made their move before. So uh, let's focus on the West. Now in the fallout, what do you, what sort of sticks out to you the most in terms of maybe the biggest winner or sort of the team that made the best strides? I mean, it's hard not to look at what Vegas did with the acquisition of Mark Stone. I mean, I had Vegas as a team that I really didn't want to do anything. I thought, you know what, they're looking at a pretty uphill battle with Calgary and San Jose in the division. Maybe the toughest path to the Stanley Cup final of any team, unless you maybe want to count St. Louis or Colorado or whatever team slips into that number three. Uh, But they're going to have to go through two teams with legit Stanley Cup aspirations and then another in the third round. And then uh, whoever comes out of the central, probably that team. too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really difficult path. And if they were going to add pure rentals, I mean, I think that could have been a little bit misguided and misplaced given that they still have to build out a foundation of, you know, good players to build up their system to achieve long term success. But there was a condition, obviously. I mean, if you're going to go out and make a Mark Stone trade. And you're going to give away a prospect like Eric Eric Brandstrom. Oh, Eric Brandstrom. You're going to give him away. It's, yeah, it's on the tongue. Yeah, uh, He's one of the few remaining premium prospects from all the good work that they did at the expansion the draft. Year, yeah. But the condition is if you can sign Mark Stone, you go out and make that trade. And they signed Mark Stone for $9.5 million annually, a reasonable deal, probably less than he could have made on the open market. So I think they improved their team, obviously, today with Mark Stone. And, and that top six, that top nine, looks a lot better than it did with a player of his caliber. Um, it's going to be no easy task. It doesn't at all push them over the top. I mean, you can't say with certainty that this is a difference. Yeah. But getting him for the next eight years, a blossoming superstar, a player that's going to be really, really good for a long time. I mean, you can't not put Vegas at the top of the list. Yeah, I know we keep coming back to this, but I think it, it is a point that you honestly can't stress enough. It's like what I want to see always is a team that can take a step back and critically evaluate where they are in the league's hierarchy and then act accordingly. 
I know everyone would love to be a contender and try to win a Stanley Cup, but realistically, if you're like the 11th best team in the league, does it make a lot of sense for you to be giving up first-round picks and future assets to get marginally better? Probably not. With this Vegas team, I think it's a super uphill battle, and if it was just a pure rental, I would have knocked them for this trade. Even if it was not even Brandstone, let's say it was a lower-tier prospect mm-hmm. they gave up, I'd still question it if they didn't re-sign Stone just because it's like, what are the odds that you're going to beat probably San Jose in round one, Calgary in round two, and then Winnipeg or Nashville in round three? Like those are arguably Slim. one, two, and three in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. And so going running that gauntlet seems like a very uphill battle. But for for Vegas now, I mean, they had Mark Stone, who I believe according to uh, Evolve, Evolving Wilds uh, goals above replacement metric is the number one skater in the league this year in terms of the value he's given his team. Um and I'm, I'm very fascinated to see what he's going to look like. I'm not sure who he's going to play with on the Golden Knights, but I imagine it'll probably be an upgrade over, what was it, like Colin White and Brady Kachuk for a lot of the season. Like, I imagine he's going to get some nice little shiny toys to play with offensively and on that power play. And um, he's taken his game to a whole new level offensively this year. We all know about the defensive ability, and I think that's going to carry over to Vegas. And he's in the prime of his career, so that eight-year investment makes a ton of sense, especially at the number they got him for, which was single digits. Yeah, he's the prize of the deadline. I yeah. think there's an undeniable influence, strong possession, shot share numbers, everything for a bad Senators team, now scoring over a point per game. I mean, Mark Stone is is uh, is pretty close to a superstar player in this league, if not a superstar player in this league. And he he adds to he adds to a group that, you know, I think some of the the shine has you know rubbed off a little bit especially with some of the players that sort of came out of nowhere and you kind of you expected that a little bit um but now they've got a really really rock solid core yeah it's a good team i mean i i deep dive them on uh on the most recent episode of the pdo guest i don't want to regurgitate a lot of it but i mean the results haven't been where they were last year and some of the luck kind of came back from from that inaugural season but yeah, based on all the 5 on 5 metrics and everything, they're a very, very good team. And now adding a guy like Stone obviously takes them to another level. Um, the other teams in the West, I mean, Nashville, we were waiting for them. And I was so ready to call them the big loser because they really waited to do anything until the final couple minutes there. And it felt like it was an inevit- inevitability that they were going to do something. I think we were all curious to see what that was going to be and what price they were going to be willing to pay because they've been relying on that top line of Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Johansson way too much, and they needed some secondary scoring, and they went out and they got it in the form of uh, Michael Granlund and Wayne Simmons. Yeah, I respect what they did. I think there was a lot of read and react with Nashville um, at the deadline here, seeing Kevin Hayes go to Winnipeg. I'm not sure what they would have done if that didn't happen. I'm not sure what they would have done if maybe Winnipeg got Mark Stone, who they were connected to for a while. Uh, It probably wouldn't have measured up quite as much because obviously... We just touched on how valuable Stone is. Right. Um, but it is interesting uh, what they did. Obviously, another one-for-one one trade invo- <laughs> involving Paul Fenton. Uh, we think Nashville got the better end of that. Yep. Mikel Grenland, I-, I feel like that's a player as well that hasn't quite you know, reached up to maybe the potential everyone had for him. Maybe he showed flashes in a season where you'd think, okay, he's going to take the next step, and maybe it was a s- slight step back. But it's been pretty level, right? It's pretty pretty level. It's been a it's been a quality quality middle six forward who helps you both offensively and defensively. We're talking before we think <clears throat> Kevin Fiala can get to that point, right? Um, and he's still a young guy. He's a guy that's always talked about this time of year because Nashville's been so good, and that's been one of their you know premium prospects or young players that could be moved in a one for one deal if they really wanted to make uh, a big splash. And he's been involved at, at at points. Certainly in the playoffs, he's had moments in in the in the regular season. Obviously, he's had moments, but I don't think he's fulfilled his potential. 
I don't know if they're through waiting around for them. I think that might be a little bit uh, hyperbolic, I guess. But they went out and they got a player who gives them an immediate upgrade, um, someone who can sort of match what Winnipeg did in a middle six upgrade. And then they went out and got Wayne Simmons, who's obviously going to help the 31st ranked power play in the league right now. So uh, I think read and react, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I love Fiala. I mean, I've talked about him plenty on this podcast and in my writing. I mean, the talent is when you watch Nashville, especially on a perfect night, like his skating is mm-hmm. so remarkable. And that's still at only 22 years old. Um, and acknowledging the fact that he probably lost some developmental time there when he had that nasty uh, leg break in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Like, I think he could still get there. But for this Nashville team that's clearly all in now and has this core and who knows how long they're going to be able to keep these defensemen together, it makes sense for them to get a more, um, you know, not safe, but a, a, an option that you know you know what you're going to get from Michael Granlund at this point of his career, and that is that sort of second line guy who can bounce around from the wing center and very gifted on the power play, a great playmaker, and so that solidifies it. It, it is a bit disappointing to be giving up on a guy like on Fiala because obviously I think his ceiling is so high that this could be one of those trades that comes back to bite you in the butt a little bit. And and we knocked Paul Fenton for this trade, and I think. The reason why I have an issue with it is because I feel like they should have gotten more value just based on the two names. Like the fact that he did this one for one, similar to the coil for Donato trade. It's like, couldn't you have squeezed out an extra pick or something else in return? Like it feels like just based on name brand value, they could have gotten better value. But I think the bets they're making, I mean, they clearly evaluated their team and they're like, okay, we're going to make the playoffs and lose in round one again for the 12th straight season. Where's that going to get us ultimately? So let's kind of take a step back, try to get some younger guys with higher offensive upside, and maybe potentially we can actually become a, a legitimate contender as opposed to this middling team that constantly sneaks in. Yeah, I think they, their intentions might have been right on, but was that the right deal? Yeah. I mean, they're a little little handcuffed in the fact I think they probably wanted to move Eric Stahl but weren't able to. I don't think he wanted to leave. Uh, but when you talk about timeline, Mikhail Granlin meets Nashville's timeline. Yeah. Better, obviously, than Kevin Fiala. He's ready to, he's in his prime right now. He's ready to contribute. Fiala, ready to contribute as well, but not quite in the same established manner as as Granlund. And then Simmons, I mean, we mentioned he's going to help on the power play. He doesn't fit the timeline perfectly. I'm, I have some reservation yeah, over whether Wayne Simmons from like 2015. Yeah, that, I mean, then you'd be really talking, but yeah. I'm not, I've, I mean, I was going to be skeptical wherever Wayne Simmons landed. I'm not sure. I mean, I think this is a plotting version of Wayne Simmons, and I'm not sure how much they could, how much he was going to help a team. But you're looking at a team with a struggling power play. I mean, this is this is the right team to go out and get Wayne Simmons. That's not going to rely on him to be a guy who's going to be, uh, you know, not in a special team yeah. role. A guy that's going to be, you know, driving play and involved and and maybe lagging behind. You have he's a specialty player. He's going to have a specialty role, and he's going to try to heal or remedy something that's been a big problem in Nashville yeah and obviously I mean it's probably a win-win in that regard for for team and player right because Wayne Simmons is a impending UFA this summer and with the injuries he's had and sort of everyone being cautious after you know the cautionary tale of a guy like Milan Lucic where he ages so poorly like this and having a similar you know physicality and body type I think teams are going to be very reluctant to give Wayne Simmons that five six year deal that he might have gotten in a previous era uh, but at the same time, obviously, if he sort of turns back the clock a bit and has a productive 
uh, postseason run and also rejuvenates his power play, all of a sudden you could potentially see him making some extra money as well. So it makes well, a lot of sense. There's the sell. If they start scoring goals on the power play, he's whether he's directly or indirectly involved, he can build himself a little bit more of a case. I'm very fascinated summer. to see it because obviously like their neck front presence is Victor Arvidsson, right? So it's like, and he's actually kind of good at it. Double like, the size. Like, yeah. He has these like <laughs> remarkable like jumping screens and, and, and all this stuff. So I'm fascinated to see that dynamic there. But especially for the price, right? Like I know they gave up a first for Ryan Hartman last year. But you can't evaluate it like that. Like, it's a sunk cost. As soon as you make a trade like that, you mm-hmm. can't view that as a former first-round pick anymore. You have to view it as Brian Hartman and what he gives you right now. And I don't think that's a player that's going to move the needle either way. So giving up Brian Hartman in a conditional fourth, as opposed to some of the rumors you'd heard where the Flyers were looking for a first-round pick and a prospect early in the day. Like, I think at that, pri- at that point, the price point came down so low that for the Predators, they're like, all right, let's take a shot. And honestly, if Wayne Simmons is banged up and can't skate, then we can just demote him to a fourth line, second power play specialist type, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, don't double down on a mistake. Yeah. Ryan Hartman, I guess, was a mistake. He hasn't had the the impact or the influence that you expected him to have. Doesn't mean you have to continue to roll him out there. Go get something you need. And I like how Granlund has another year, I believe, left on his deal at like five-something or, or maybe around six million, and so clearly Nashville's going to have another Kick of the can, crack of the can. What's the saying? Kick of the can. They're gonna kick of the can. Kick of the can. Yeah. They're, so they're gonna have two runs. Crack basically. at it. Crack at it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like what Nashville did there, and Winnipeg is the third team, and I've talked so much about this match made in heaven between Kevin Hayes and that second line center spot that they needed to fill to fill that Paul Stasny role from last year, and we'll see. I know Line has been playing a bit on the top line, and they've been trying to get him going, and he's finally scoring some goals. But I think long term. Winnipeg's ceiling, if they're going to match what they did last year and potentially even make the cup final and win it, it's going to involve Patrick Laine being an absolute monster who's scoring a goal a game, right? And Mm -hmm. they needed to find a way to get him going, and Brian Little clearly is not that guy. I think Kevin Hayes, there's a lot of questions, certainly, but he's so talented and he's so physically gifted as a playmaker that I think I'm very curious to see how that fit plays out, and it very well could have the similar success to what uh, Winnipeg found last year between Laine and Stasny. Yeah, Stasny almost seemed like a luxury last year. Right. It seemed like, oh, wow, okay, now they've, they've added this. This is a little extra to what was already something that was working. But it turns out they did need that influence, right. I think. They needed they needed a, well, they needed someone beyond Brian Little, I think. Yeah. I mean, they need someone who was going to be able to get the best out of Patrick Laine. Saw a little bit out of Paul Stasny. But Kevin Hayes, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about he's Mark Stone light. Yeah. But maybe that's not really fair. Maybe that's just the body type and what he can what he right. can do a little bit offensively uh, compared to what Mark Stone can do offensively. But I think it's a little bit different than that. Obviously, different positions he's going to yeah. be the centerman. But I, I think it's I think it's going to be a good fit. I like the move right away, um, and it did cause the chain reaction yeah, through you know almost, with yeah. the other teams getting ready or sort of being more involved in the arms race. But things have gotten a little stale in Winnipeg for whatever reason. Yeah. Obviously, the Stasny thing did influence that, but I think they needed a shot a shot in the arm. They needed a solution for what was going on in the middle there, and I think Kevin Hayes is a is a good bet, a good gamble for them. Yeah, I mean, they lost Stasny and Enstrom, obviously, this summer, and then I think it's unfair to evaluate them because Nikolai Ehlers was missing so much time, and he just came back and scored a goal in his first game back, and Dustin Bufflin's still out, but we expect him to come back at some point. So, like, their numbers since the new year have been abysmal, but whenever you subtract two key contributors like that, like it makes sense that that's going to account for part of it. And I think part of it is also like after the success that team had last year and coming into the season, I don't think 
things are stale, like stale in terms of like they can't get get it back together or they're bored or they're not trying. But it's like this is a team that pretty clearly has bigger picture aspirations than trying to have a successful regular season because they've already done that and now they're looking to take that next step. Yeah, I think we see parallels with Washington. I mean, every time I turn on Washington, I think they look like world beaters, but their record and right. their underlyings and their you know their production totals don't really match that. That's why what's going on in Tampa is so remarkable. I yeah. mean, Tampa Bay didn't do anything today. They didn't have to do anything right. today. But for a team that has had, hasn't had that success, sort of in the same boat of Winnipeg, but they've been doing it for longer. They've been at that like close to the summit, summit, yeah. but not there for longer. And they're, they're going for one of the best seasons in the history of the NHL. So it's remarkable that they've not fallen in, into that sort of malaise yeah. that maybe Washington had before Winnipeg maybe is now. Maybe, maybe that's oversimplifying things for Winnipeg and they really do have some problems. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. But I believe they're still a really talented team that's going to push for this for, for a championship this year. But it does make me appreciate what Tampa is doing that much more. Yeah, I think when healthy, the talent's clearly there. They need a bit more from Connor Hellebuck than he's done so far this year. But yeah, I, I would still bet on that winning out. Um, yeah, with Tampa, they're like, I don't know. Is it fair? Is it kind of cliche to say that they're like the big winner today just because they didn't have to do anything? Like, if, you know, they're in the driver's seat here. They're in the pole position. All these other teams, even the teams out west, I imagine, are sort of trying to measure themselves up against the high benchmark that Tampa set. And they're like, okay, what can we do? to potentially match what they have going on offensively and whereas Tampa's like yeah we're perfectly cool here we're gonna chill we're gonna we've already done a lot of our work and I think it's really important for them I think we sometimes miss this point when we talk about these sort of trade deadline buy buyer versus seller markets where for a team like Tampa Bay who clearly this summer is probably gonna have to lose some players financially similar to what Chicago did in their heyday just because once they put paid Braden point I imagine a guy like Tyler Johnson is probably just going to be shed off because they won't be able to afford him. Mm-hmm. Um, having guys like Matthew Joseph, Anthony Sorelli, I imagine some of these other guys who are playing on their AHL team right now, having them come up on these ELCs and play for nothing and be effective is such a massive luxury for a team that's paying Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, and Braden Point all that money. So retaining all those young assets that aren't making any money on their ELCs was a huge step for them for the future as opposed to you know just trying to do everything they can this year. And that's why you don't want to see teams go too crazy right. or, because, I mean, that's a proven model. I mean, the, there's one thing to draft well, but there's other to, to know and to understand when your time is. Now, I, I'm not sure they've ever really... I mean, they've made big moves around deadlines before. Yeah, I mean, traded for McDonough last year but, with like potentially two firsts, right? Yeah, but they've made the right they made the right calls and they can trade their firsts when they're drafting well in the seconds and yep. thirds. But you mentioned them being the big winner. That's because the teams that really did something are sort of their indirect competition win in the Western Conference. I mean, right. they're going to have to go through one of Toronto or Boston probably and a Montreal or another wildcard team in the East. And Toronto and Boston, while Boston did make some moves, I don't think they did anything that's going to scare the Tampa Bay Lightning in the sense that they didn't get anyone um, that's going to really move the needle, at least in my opinion. I mean, Boston added Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson today, uh, Marcus Johansson earlier today. And now, you know, I mean, they're fine middle six players, but are they guys that are going to truly strike fear into the heart of Tampa? No, I don't think uh, John Cooper is sitting at home right now just reevaluating like oh crap what are we going to do to to keep up with this team but I mean to be fair um, you know they're both useful players and I think for Boston like the baseline level of what they need from the guys who aren't playing on their first line is like just don't get killed Mm -hmm. 
to buy Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak a couple minutes of rest so that they can come back out on the ice and do their thing. Now, we saw last year in a series against Tampa Bay, who is this loaded team with four lines they can roll, like it's really tough to keep up in a playoff series when you're just relying on a couple guys like that because there's what they're playing 20, 25 minutes a night. What are you going to do for the rest of the time? It's a remarkable luxury when lines two through four just have to break e- even yeah. because that top line is going to get theirs pretty much regardless, yeah, regardless of, of who they're of playing. Who they're yeah. playing. Um, and then the other side of the coin, it could be the Maple Leafs who didn't do anything today. Um, and obviously a lot of talk in Toronto, always a lot of talk in Toronto. Um, but I think they made the right move staying pat. I mean, we talk about when to strike. They're they're having to deal with both Boston and, and Tampa this year if they're lucky or they'll be they'll be pretty pleased to get past Boston to meet Tampa right. if they do indeed do that. Um, but they just made small one small move at the margins uh, with Nick Patan. Obviously, their big move move with Jake Muzzin, but um, there's still some questions about whether or not they have the most complete team, whether they not have a, whether or not they have a team that's going to be able to compete for the Stanley Cup, but. Um, just circling back to Tampa, I mean, they saw all the action out west, and uh, they're pretty, probably feeling pretty comfortable on track for one of the greatest seasons uh, that we've seen. Well, let's tie a bow on the Western Conference. A team we haven't talked about yet is the San Jose Sharks. Um, you know, they made their move, I guess, this summer trading for Eric Carlson, but then obviously yesterday they also get Gustav Nyquist. And I think people were generally surprised that the price they paid for Nyquist, which I believe was like a second and a conditional third or something like that, um, was all they had to give up because I think people were expecting Detroit to recoup a first rounder or at least some top prospect. And, you know, it came out that Nyquist, who had a no trade clause, wanted to go to San Jose. And I imagine that kind of limited Detroit's bargaining power when it's like, I'm not going to wave unless you send me to this particular team. Um, so I'm okay with it from Detroit's perspective, getting a couple picks for a guy who was probably not in their long term plans. But from San Jose's perspective, I know we go through this with the Leafs where it's like, at some point, there's a point of diminishing returns where it's like, if you're investing all these assets in offensive players, what about the other side of the game? But at the same time, ultimately, you just need to score more goals than your opponent. And you can do so by limiting goals or by just scoring in crazy, ridiculous volume. And with this San Jose team, when you're talking about Joe Thornton and Gustav Nyquist potentially as their third line guys and second unit power play guys, like it's it's pretty scary what they can roll out there on a consistent basis to go along with Burns and Carlson. What I like about San Jose is they have different types of scorers. I mean, they, they don't have, they're not just a small team that's flashy. They're not just yeah. a team that relies on their power play. They got a lot of different elements to them. And that obviously is built out from having Brent Burns and Eric Carlson on the blue line. But Nyquist is low-key one of the one of the really good ads, I think, and obviously it played into their hand that Nyquist wanted to go there, but I think we've seen some flashes of that star potential he showed in 2013, 14, 15. Um, no surprise that it's coming in an unrestricted free agent season, <laughs> but he's going to add a little scoring punch on the cheap. They were able to get it done early and not have to scramble today and overpay today, so it's another nice move from the Sharks management team, and I like them at the start of the year. They were my pick for the yeah. Stanley Cup. Uh, I think maybe the path is a little bit trickier than what I envisioned yeah, coming into Vegas in round one. Potentially, that's a pretty tricky first round matchup, and and it it, it shows how important the next twenty to twenty five games are right. with trying to uh, secure that number one seed because you want to avoid that obviously if you can. But they do have a more difficult path than I than I envisioned. But I think that's the most complete team at least in the Pacific Division, and maybe you can argue in the entire Western Conference. But yeah. 
there's some problems in goal. Both their goalies, I believe, are sub 900 or sub 900 last time I checked. Yeah. It's a massive problem that you just cannot overcome if it continues. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see. I know like a, a name that I floated out there and I'd seen some other people talk about it was potentially Ryan Miller. You could stay in California. He's an impending UFA, so you could give up like a, you know, a second or a third round pick or whatever, and, and then he could just try to win a cup, which has eluded him throughout his career, and then sign back with Anaheim if he so chooses in the summer, and it works out for both parties. Um, I'm not sure if they explored that or not. I know they're like... It's a it's a fine balance because you don't want to if you're San Jose you don't want to go out and get a Bobrovsky or maybe even a Jimmy Howard just because you're so financially invested in Martin Jones and I know like if you win a cup this year it doesn't matter what happens after that but then like if you're just completely stripping him of the job and just bringing in a new star and then all of a sudden you have to turn back to him for the next five years at whatever he's making like I understand the reluctance to potentially do that. And he also has also, I mean, he has the playoff resume, obviously. I don't know how much we want to buy into that, but I think in his whatever many, many games he's played, he's like a 925 or 926 uh, save percentage goalie in the playoffs and has kind of elevated his game when he's needed to. Yeah, there was no sure thing with what they could do. I mean, there's yeah. no sure thing that Ryan Miller would, would you know, help them that yeah. much. Um, would he be the guy that could push for the starter's job? Maybe. Would he be able to succeed in that if he, would, if he could, you know, take over from Martin Jones yeah. if he continues to struggle? But you mentioned Jimmy Howard. I mean... That's one of the guys out there because he's a UFA, but it's a repl- it's a replacement level goaltender yeah. who's you know there's been some spectacular runs, but overall he's giving average results. Average results might be enough for San Jose, yeah, but I think they gotta believe that average results can be found from within. That they can get it from Martin Jones. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, the team that's ominously quiet in this mix is Calgary, and I think they're firmly in this top tier in the Western Conference with all these teams we've talked about so far. I mean, their big move was going on and getting Oscar Fenberg for like a conditional fourth or something. I was very surprised. It's a bit of a double whammy for them because, you know, obviously in the Pacific Division, not only does one of, do one of their natural rivals get Mark Stone, but they were one of the teams that was heavily rumored to potentially be in on those Mark Stone sweepstakes. And I'm not sure, you know, they're clearly a team that maybe Mark Stone wouldn't have wanted to resign there. Maybe... Um, they don't have a prospect of Eric Brandstrom's caliber and they would have had to give up some volume of picks and prospects that made Brad true living uncomfortable. Like there's all these factors to consider, but considering how good this team is, um, how it's window is now, how they haven't had that much playoff success in the past. Like uh, I'm a bit left a bit lukewarm uh, with the way they chose to approach this deadline. And I kind of wish they brought in one more impact player, whether it was, a guy of Mark Stone's caliber or even someone lower like a Mike Hoffman or a Gustav Nyquist or someone like that who could come in and give a little scoring punch on that third line. Yeah, I wrote down five teams that I thought had to add something. They're one of two that didn't add of the five, Calgary and Carolina. Mm -hmm. I think Carolina maybe could have done a little bit something today just to sort of improve their chances of what could be a, a playoff position here shaping up because they've been on quite a run. But it's interesting with Stone because... There was talk earlier about how Calgary was close on something huge. So did that all hinge on Mark Stone not wanting to sign there, not wanting to resign, or not getting the money, or if he was willing but not getting the amount of money that he wanted? Right. Because they said it was close and and it didn't happen in the end. But then that the fact that Mark Stone was uh, willing to you know decide his future today makes you seem like maybe they did have the the move in place, and that would have been quite the power move and obviously very exciting um, for the for Flames fans, but maybe the hang-up was right there. Uh, but you're right, Calgary's a really good team. Yeah. I mean, I really like watching them. A really, really solid top six. One of the best first lines in hockey, one of the best second lines in yep. hockey. 
and a really strong defense core led by a guy who's probably going to win the Norris Trophy and Mark Giordano. But again, it's the goaltending. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's not a problem exclusive to them in the Pacific Division because, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury is not having a tremendous right. season or not having a tremendous last couple months. And we just discussed the issues in goal for San Jose. Are they going to be able to put it together with Mike Smith and David Riddich? I'm not convinced. Yeah. Um but you know what? It's it, it's looking like a roll of the dice either way in those two series. However, it shakes down the Pacific Division. I would have liked to, to do something to sort of to, to at least match what the other teams did. Um, but I think regardless of whether or not they were going to get a really big name player or impactful forward, uh, they still had some worries about uh, or some worries in that. Yeah, and they're a team that's kind of historically, especially under under this regime, been uh, for whatever reason kind of reluctant to pay big exorbitant prices for rentals like a lot of their moves have been on the margins and in the summertime right so uh, all that makes sense I mean I I do wish they had another guy but it's easier to say that without knowing the context of what that would have cost or you know how how that made them feel I'm going to put you on the spot here I want you to power rank those teams for me as we stand right now on February 25th just after the deadline um, give me your top the top tier in the Western Conference because I think we agree that like these five teams or whatever we mentioned are yeah. clearly better than whoever else is going to make it in the play. I guess say, we got maybe add St. Louis to the mix. I mean, they didn't really do anything today, but no. Um, where they added Michael Dozato, I think that was their big yeah. one for a six. Like it's kind of a bizarre Power trade, move. but um, they've been playing so well that I think we need to factor them into this. But let's talk about these five teams right now that made the moves and now how they look in their new look formation. Um, adding Calgary to that mix, how how would you rank them? Interesting, because I probably would have said with certainty that. Vegas would have been my five and Nashville probably would have been my four Mm -hmm. uh, before today. And obviously those teams, those two teams probably made the most impactful moves of the, of the five. Um, I still like San Jose. I probably would slot them. Number one, I'd probably go Winnipeg. Number two, it might be Nashville, Vegas, Calgary now for me. Yeah. Um, I think it may be, maybe a toss up between the, the final two, but, um, I am still waiting for Winnipeg to look like Winnipeg. I hope Kevin Hayes does um, sort of remedy all that. But I've been really high on San Jose since the start of the year. And and obviously they did nothing but improve their team with the addition of Gus Nyquist. Not as impactful as the other ones, but uh, I would probably start there with the Western Conference. Yeah, I, would, I think I would go very similar to you. I think San Jose has to be number one just based on what we've seen. It's close. I'm mm-hmm. not saying you know they're in a league of their own like Tampa Bay is out east. But I think... Just based on the talent, like it's, I would not want to bet against them in a series in this Western Conference playoff, just because like it would be a, such a frightening proposition to be like financially invested or or having your reputation on the line, and then you're like all of a sudden this team is just rolling Gustav Nyquist and Joe Thornton on the third line. You're just like, oh my god, like they just put up six goals without in the blink of an eye without even trying. So it's ridiculous what they can do, and if the goaltending can hold up, I think they're number one. I actually, I think Nashville number, is number two for me. Mm. Like I think it's a bit of a coin flip there once again between them and Winnipeg, but. I really like the moves they made. I think just adding, um, and I'm not even expecting much from Wayne Simmons from them, but adding a guy like Michael Granlund and giving them another guy who can do some of the playmaking and take some of the offensive responsibility off of the shoulders of that top line is going to be such a massive luxury for them. And um, I think with the goaltending, like they're the one team here that, like, I feel it feels weird because I was so down on Pecorine for so long. And then now he's been so reliable the past couple of years, game seven last year, notwithstanding um, that I just like them the most in a playoff series, I think out of those other teams. And then it's a toss up 
honestly, I think like Winnipeg, Calgary, what Vegas are right there. And I think that's going to lend itself to an amazing couple rounds, there's, right? There's a common theme throughout all of them. Maybe questions in goal. Yeah. I mean, there's others that are that's a little bit. That's pretty much like everywhere in the league, right? Like there's like five teams that have yeah. a goalie that I'm not like, uh-oh. But high event with questions in goal, five yeah. really good teams that are about to go at it. I, I mean, we, we, we have problems, obviously. A lot of people do with the way the playoff uh, is formatted but we're guaranteed some really good rounds between those five teams. Well, we saw, I mean, last year, I thought that, um, you know, low-key, the the Vegas uh, San Jose series in round two was some of the best hockey I've seen in, in recent memory. Like, just the pace those games were played at was so fun to watch, and I know it wasn't necessarily as close of a series. I know there's a couple blowouts in there, and it didn't go to game seven, so people don't think of it as this classic being played at the highest level, but... It was it was some great hockey, and then now the teams have both added some serious firepower. I mean, just think about it compared to last year: Vegas adds Max Pacioretty, Paul Stasny, and Mark Stone, and then all of a sudden you've got Carlson and Nyquist and a healthy Sharks team. Like it's some of those games could yeah. be like seven six. And to think that'll probably be I mean that'll be the jewel of the first round, yeah. right? That's if uh, Calgary does end up winning the division, that'll be an amazing first round series followed up by a really good second round series. I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting because I, I mean, it is annoying having these really good teams play each other in the second, second round, but I think the hockey's better at that time. Yeah. So if, yeah, if the guys are healthier, theory, you see, you yeah. see teams at their peak going at it, it. It does make for really great hockey. As you said, it's not the right way to do things, but I mean, <clears throat> excuse me with the way those teams are, are, ranked right now i mean we're gonna get some really really good hockey well i guess you know i aired my grievances and my issues with the current playoff format but in a sense like in the west it will technically work out at least to the start right because like the team that wins the pacific will be guaranteed and 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 out, out uh, in the central as well like winning those two divisions you're gonna get a significantly easier first round matchup than you will if you are in those two three seeds and so all i want is i want like if we're gonna demand playing 82 regular season games and having this marathon season, which is clearly a cash grab by the league, um, at least make it worth something and give those teams that do really well in the regular season some sort of advantage. And we're gonna see that out west because it's pretty clear that Calgary and, and San Jose are gonna be. They really should be trying to finish first in the Pacific because I think the difference between whoever they're playing the wild card and Vegas is gonna be. A massive disparity. The carrot is there for sure. Uh, it's interesting because, it, it, as you mentioned, it's going to actually work out probably the way it should. I mean, the two, three seeds in the Pacific will probably be the four or five seeds uh, if it if it did yep. go by a one through eight. So having that four to five premium matchup, they obviously face the one seed, which might be the team that wins that division. So uh, it won't be too far off what we would like to see it. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for the West, right? Like, uh, are there any, I think we kind of, I think that's probably the most uh, a podcast has ever spent on the Western Conference before getting out East. I mean, look at us go. I don't know how long we've been talking, but it feels like uh, we've really been prioritizing that. And I think we should move out we East. Should, we should have prioritized it though. I mean, that was, that's, 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 where, all that's the, where all the action was. Yeah. That's where, I mean, all the power is concentrated in those five teams and they were, for the most part, all involved. So out East, um, let's talk about the Blue Jackets. Okay. So I'm going to have Allison Lucan on later this week, and we're going to really deep dive what Columbus did and sort of their future outlook. So I don't want to like get too into the minutia here, but clearly um, they're, they've gotten a lot of the headlines in these past couple of days because they went out and they basically traded every single draft pick they possibly could have to bring in Dezingle, Duchesne, 
Keith Kincaid for some reason, uh, Adam McQuaid. Like, I'm not saying these are all great moves. I'm just saying, like, it's clear the agenda here is we're going to win our first you, playoff series in franchise history. You're saying that Yarmo Kekalainen basically doesn't have to be at the draft in June. Yeah, I, I guess that was his rationale. Like, <laughs> it, like I, I'm perfectly cool with the first two trades he made. And then at that point, it just felt like he had these, like, draft picks burning a hole in his pocket. And he's like, I don't like, what am I going to do with this fourth rounder? We were talking earlier about like clear intentions. Yeah. There's no clearer intention than yeah. what's going on. If we're going to value that, we need to give them credit for that at least. It's yeah, and it's 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 fascinating. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a cupboard empty that fast, but I see why they did it. Especially for a team that's what are they like a 50-50 bet to make the playoffs? It, as it stands like, now, like I guess mathematically, there's the probability. Yeah. Like they're not a like this isn't a, con- a Stanley Cup contender that's already like locked in. Like if Tampa Bay did this you'd be like, okay, well, they're mm-hmm. the best team in hockey. It makes sense that they don't care what happens next year. With this team, like conceivably, they could be a lottery team. They're on the bubble, but this is the strongest iteration of the oh, Columbus yeah. Blue Jackets that we've seen. I mean, this is a team that they could slot, I wouldn't say anywhere, but they can slot in a lot of different places in the Metropolitan Division yep. or the wildcard standings when it's all said and done. I think they're going to comfortably make the playoffs, even though they're they're you know battling it out right now. Uh, but this is a significant investment, and I think it's a worthy investment because, as I mentioned, this is probably the best team they had. They've never had success in the postseason, haven't won a single round. But it's all precipitated, or uh, the fact that they have Artemi Panarin yep. and Sergei Bobrovsky, who have made it known that they probably want to leave. Right. They're two incredibly talented players that another team is going to build around. Yep. Um, but you don't want to waste that. You don't want to waste the best team that you've had in, in your franchise's history and while they've invested maybe more than anyone else would have thought i think they were wise to do this because you got to reward you got to reward this team you got to reward the team that's got you a, that is the most talented that you've ever had yep. and you got to give it a chance because you, what are you just going to take two steps back and live in the bubble forever yeah i think that eventually this team is going to disband a little bit yeah they're going to lose some premium assets here um come the summertime but why not go for it first? Yeah, I mean, with all due respect to uh, Jeff Sanderson and uh, Fedor Tutin and some of the other all-time uh, Columbus Blue Jackets greats, uh, this is clearly the best team they've had. And I think just as importantly, the Metro division is probably not necessarily as weak, but I'd say as wide open. As it's there for the taking, for like, sure. There's no team. like I don't think it's necessarily weak because even though they've shown flaws like Washington and Pittsburgh still have the star talent and Carolina's coming on strong. So I think there's good talent there and good teams, but none of those teams have taken a stranglehold and ran away with it. And I don't think we're going to get more into the Islanders here, but I don't think they necessarily represent this imposing roadblock that no one is going to be able to get by in the postseason, regardless of how successful they've been so far. So I think it makes sense from that regard. And I've seen this idea um, tossed out there that it's like, Oh, this is a huge bet by Yarmo Kekalainen because if it backfires, they're going to be left with nothing. And I don't think that is true. Like, even if all these guys leave in free agency, you have Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones, who are two bona fide first pairing defensemen who are probably not even in their prime yet. And they're going to both be under contract long term. You've got Pierre Luc Dubois, who's a number one center, and he's like 20 or 21 years old or whatever. And then you have all this complementary talent with the Cam Atkinsons, the Oliver Bjork Strands, the Boone Jenners in the world. So, and cap space. So they can go out in theory and add another player in free agency um, who will want to sign there and come back with a pretty decent team. Obviously not having the draft picks isn't ideal, but I don't think this is a team that's going to just 
lose Matt Duchesne and Artemi Panarin and just crater and be one of the worst teams in the league either because I think there's too much young talent there already in place. Yeah, there is. I mean, they're led, obviously, by those two studs on the back end. Yeah. And Pierre-Luc Dubois is coming into his own as a pretty dominant center in this league. But there is a lot of talent scattered throughout the, the roster. Obviously, they they would put in a position where they had to take a step back because they were going to lose these two superstar yep. players at the end. So you got to this point. Are you going to just accept that, you know, we had, you know, you accept your bad luck that these two guys wanted to leave and two guys that you, you know, made shrewd moves to acquire? Right. Or are you going to go, uh, you go for it. And uh, I think you don't need, you don't need a full slate of draft picks every year to create a good team, to build no. a good team. You got to make the right moves with what you have. Um, and their, their hockey operations is going to be attested a little bit by the fact that they don't have first round picks, second round picks coming up. Um, But they got to continue what they've been doing. And that's accumulating good talent and good enough talent to put themselves in a position where they think they can win or get pretty far in the Stanley cup playoffs in the metropolitan division, which right now is shaping up to be a bunch of coin flips, a bunch of teams that are pretty similar in capability and let the chips fall as they may. And I'm not saying GMs should be just like catering to the whims of their fan base and be making their moves dictated based on that. But I mean, I think the Blue Jackets have a very loyal fan base that uh, is very vocal online. I'll give them credit for that whenever I've uh, slandered them on this podcast. <laughs> out there, I'm quick to hear about it and, and I'll read some of the, the Reddit threads about the bad stuff I said about them. But they have a loyal fan base that has been treated to 17 years of, I don't even want to call it mediocrity because there's been some really, really dark periods in there. And They've had five playoff victories, zero playoff series wins in that time. And so this idea that you might not be a Stanley Cup contender, but you could get into the playoffs and all of a sudden win around and all of a sudden, who knows, maybe an injury happens, maybe you get a lucky break and all of a sudden you find yourself easily in that conference final. And at that point, maybe Tampa Bay is going to be treated to a tough series out in the Atlantic and who knows, right? So these are all the things that you kind of, I understand it's a lot of ifs and, 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 and buts, but I think as a calculated risk, it makes a lot of sense. And I give Yarmo credit because these are moves, as you mentioned, that we don't typically see teams make because NHL teams err on the side of a more conservative action around this time of year. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of moves, obviously. I don't know if all of them were the correct moves. I mean, I think the Matt Duchesne deal is is pretty solid. You know what you're going to get. This guy's going to score some goals. He might not be the guy that you rely on you know, too, too heavily in the playoffs in all situations. Um, It'll be interesting to see where Ryan Zingle fits in, if he's going to play, if he's going to be locked into that third line role, how often is he going to get that shot off? Uh, We can sort of debate the merits of having having Adam McQuaid on your roster, uh, but we probably don't want to go down that path. Um, So it's interesting to see if they, what these players do and how they do impact this stretch run. But I think that core is what, means the most they're gonna you know they're gonna add to that core and help that core but that core is talented enough to compete i think as it is need a little help needed maybe validation maybe needed to not have to worry anymore about not having artemi panarin and sergey borovsky on the roster come summer so uh, it is interesting to see uh what's gonna happen and they're definitely a team to watch down the stretch not just because of their position in the standings and you know i mean i can tell from their perspective like when you look at all the success the ottawa centers have had this year and you if you're columbus you're like i want to replicate that success let's get some of those guys on our team um no i think i think obviously with that first line they have i am at like there's not going to be that much pressure on Matt Duchesne from that perspective where he's not going to have to be the number one guy and he can slot into a bit more of that complimentary role where he's maybe carrying a second line, for example. And I think that's probably 
better suited for him at this point in his career. So I like that move, and, and I'm very fascinated to see how it plays out. I mean, the opposite of that, obviously, and we saw these two teams make a deal, um, is the New York Rangers, and I just want to talk about them quickly because, I mean, they made it clear last year that they were in this rebuilding phase, and they traded away a bunch of their guys, recouped a bunch of draft assets. We saw it again this year. Uh, they have a pick in every round, and they have 10 draft picks overall, I believe with potentially um, up to three first-rounders based on how the playoffs play out. And I think Rangers fans, based on what I've gathered online, are getting a bit restless maybe or a bit uneasy because I brought up how I love that from a rebuilding perspective, and then all of a sudden I got all these angry Rangers fans that are like, well, you have to have a GM who's going to make use of those picks, and maybe they're getting a bit uneasy with the direction of the team. But I think – you know, I think you and I both agree that the draft is pretty much a crapshoot, and I'm, some teams are probably better at drafting and developing than others. But in theory, you want to have volume, and this Rangers team with their ten picks, I imagine, will be able to do some interesting stuff, whether it's packaging them to trade up or or what have you this summer. Yeah, I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, we were talking earlier about the bleakest outlooks this time of year, yeah. and you know, the 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 ones that come to mind first are the Oilers and and the Senators. But at least with the Oilers, if they do get to that next stage of the rebuild, they have the best player in the world to build around. With the Senators, yeah, things are pretty bad. They got a couple good players that they're going to build around in Brady Kachuk, Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat. But at least they had the assets this time of year to bring back some really right. high-quality um, prospects and picks, which they did. But I think the Rangers did a good job with what they had. I mean, they had two assets in Zuccarello and, and Hayes that were going to bring back probably just draft picks and they got those picks and now it's up to them to do something right. with the the slate of picks that they're going to bring into the draft in june so um you're not going to get so much back for kevin hayes and matt zuccarello and there's gonna you're gonna have to find the players you don't have i mean you can't be a dominant team after at the end of a rebuild with mika zabinajad as your best player love mika zabinajad but he's not a world beater out yeah. there so it's on them to find the talent in the draft and the rebuild starts in earnest right now but that's what I like about them, that they tie into this model of this podcast and what we've been talking about. It's like they are aware. They're not fooling themselves. They And this might change this summer when our time Panarin becomes available and he's expressed his interest in potentially playing in New York. And I imagine it will be very uh, enticing or tantalizing for them to just throw a bunch of money at Panarin and try and speed this thing up. Um, and we can get into the merits of that at the time. But like they understand right now that they're not a very good team and they're not like just trying to keep these guys on the margins. They're pretty much a free-for-all. They didn't move Chris Kreider this year, obviously, but he's still young enough and has more term left on his deal where he wasn't a necessity to move him. Um, so they're squeezing out value, right? Like they got these two picks back for Adam McQuaid that they for some reason traded for him in the first place, and I forget that they even did that. But like now they have these 10 picks, and they had 10 picks last year, I believe, and they have the market, and they're going to have the cap space coming up, and... I mean, it could go bad very easily, but and all this praise could wind up sounding silly, but all of the pieces are there for them to potentially do something impressive and special, whether it's now or whether it's a couple of years down the line. The only problem right now is that they're winning a little, a little bit too much. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're we they're a little bit. We talked earlier about teams that are sort of handcuffed. They're a little bit handcuffed in the fact that they have pretty good goaltending right now, and they're winning maybe more games than uh, some fans, at least the ones that are are pulling for a rebuild and, and to go scorched earth if uh if you want to use that phrase again um because right now they're sort of a middling team yeah and you want to see you want to see them pull up acquire some talent that is game changing and 
it's always available to them to, them to have game-changing talent. We see Jules chosen in the draft all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to pick from that top end in the lottery, uh, is I feel like that's somewhere they have to be because yeah. their top end talent doesn't match up with other teams in the league. I agree. And we saw that last year, obviously, they with their top end pick, they got uh, Vitaly Kratsov, and I love him as a talent, and we'll see him come overseas uh, pretty soon. So, yeah, they need more of those guys for sure. Um, I don't know. The, the Senators, do you want to get into them? Do you want to? We, we've kind of like alluded to what they did. I feel like you have to a little bit. Obviously, I mean, they traded arguably like the three of the most important players. Um, it's, I mean, it's tough because I actually, with all the trades, I think they did well, right? Mm-hmm. Like they got assets back. They got some premium assets back. Um, just the elephant in the room is, I mean, they don't have their first round pick this year, which is obviously a big issue if it winds up being either Capo Caco or, or Jack Hughes. And I don't think anyone has faith in them maximizing all these assets they got back because there's just this hanging cloud of Eugene Melnick. And even if they get some of these young players like Eric Brandstrom, eventually they're going to have to pay him and, are they going to be willing to do so? And are they going to make the most out of these draft picks and sort of how are they going to operate? And I think it's fair to be skeptical while also acknowledging that they actually did pretty well with a lot of these trades. Yeah. We can only evaluate what they did, I guess, today in the last few weeks, because they were, they were, their headspace was a lot different when they traded their first round pick, I guess, 14, 15, 16 months ago uh, for Matt Duchesne. But you're right. They did, all they could, I think, in the last few weeks. They traded the three unrestricted free agents that were probably going to leave, and, and they got pretty decent value on either, on each of them. But it is a dark day. I mean, you lost Mark Stone, who they wanted him to be their next captain and one of the better players that's gone through there in some time. Uh, but they got a really good prospect, a premium prospect in Eric Brandstrom back uh, to go along with the first two seconds and a couple pro- other yeah. picks and prospects. So it's on them to make best use of that. But if you believe in Eric Brandstrom and you look two, three, four years ahead, a blue line that's led by Thomas Shabbat and Eric Brandstrom sounds pretty good. Yeah. And we talked about Columbus building out from Wierenski and Seth Jones. Right. Maybe we got the same thing, at least yeah. the makings right there. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's clear that the young talent is there. It's, I mean, there's all these other issues, but... You know, speaking of like uh, one of my favorite subplots of today, and we were talking about this at the time, but Winnipeg uh, protecting their pick that they gave in the Kevin mm-hmm. Hayes trade to the top three and sort of learning from the mistakes of some teams that came before them. And I know they did it last year with Paul Stasny as well, but I mean, for a team that's 99.9% likely to make the playoffs, still protect, like doing their due diligence. Like I actually respect it from Kevin Sheldale because you never know. Like we've seen time and time again, like they're going to make the playoffs, but even if there's until they're like mathematically locked in there, you can never take anything for granted in this league. We should have done the math on that. Their current playoff projection plus the yeah, you know it would be point two point three percent of them winning uh, one of the draft lottery selections. I guess it would be a little bit more than point two or point three, but that would have been interesting to figure out the exact yeah. odds of them uh, actually getting. As long one as of it's not three. zero, you have to protect yourself. But that's it. good business. Yeah. You got to do it. I mean, it should be. You should be putting those obstacles up on premium assets and premium uh, opportunities like that, and then deciding if you're going to clear them or not. So keep that as a rule. Yeah, you're going to lottery protect those top three picks, or it probably should be the entire lottery. You should protect those picks, and then you decide when you're negotiating with other teams whether or not you want to tear those down to acquire yep. whatever asset that you're interested in. 
Uh, one of the teams that was eerily quiet, and this is a very Lou Amarillo thing, it was the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. And they were getting a lot of buzz earlier in the week, I felt like, before Matt Duchesne got traded because there was a lot of rumors about how they'd be in on him and they'd want to re-sign him right away. Uh, potentially before that happened, maybe even get a Panarin before Columbus really went all in. They were linked to a lot of these big names and they ultimately stood pat. And I guess we have to give them credit because they fall in line with that idea of a team that, despite their record in the standings, isn't going to go all in this season because they probably acknowledge that a lot of it has been good fortune and just relying on their goaltending to an unsustainable degree. And it wouldn't make sense to give up a bunch of firsts and top prospects to get a guy who's not going to legitimately help you win a cup. And there's very few of those guys out there. So I'm not sure how much a Wayne Simmons or a Ryan Dazingle or a Marcus Johansson would have done for this team. But I would have liked to seen them get a guy who can play with my Matt Barzell because it's unconscionable that Tom Kunako and Leo Komarov are his two linemates right now. Yeah, I mean, completely, you know, ruining one of the most exciting players in the league with the luggage on each side. I mean, clearly... And Conor clear- McDavid is like, oh my God, that guy's yeah, in he- trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually shocked, though, that the Islanders didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, uh, seeing Lou Lamorello operate in Toronto the last two years uh, previous to this run, I think he said both times, I want to reward this team for what they've done to this point and give them the chance to compete. Right. Um, and obviously, any, th- any expectation that he had... That f- for that roster has been uh has been over they've overachieved anything that he could have possibly uh expected right. with Barry Trotz coming aboard and the, the amazing goaltending they got so with players out there uh, with a lot of teams looking to sell I'm surprised that they didn't do something to just add a scoring punch or just from an optic standpoint just to reward the players that have gotten the, to this point I'm a little bit surprised but it was the right call to stand pat because this is a team that is uh, first in the Metropolitan Division for reasons that uh, aren't don't really go beyond hot goaltending, a specific structure that seems to be working, and mediocrity from the other teams in the division. Yeah. No, I agree. And obviously, I mean, they're going to have the cap space this summer, and they still are in that market where a Panarin potentially still comes back and play, and they can sign him without giving up mm-hmm. a first and Oliver Wallstrom or Noah Dobson or whatever prospect they would have had to throw in that trade. So it makes sense from that. I, I think, I mean, at the same time, what we said about Columbus technically could be applied to this Islanders team from the perspective of, like, this Metro division is so wide open. They're one of those teams that's in that mix, and I don't think anyone is running away with it. So maybe if they added a score or two, all of a sudden we'd like them a little bit more. But... You're right. I think based on the prices, I, I I think it didn't really make sense. Maybe a guy like Mike Hoffman would have made sense just because he has years left on his deal beyond this year, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to make those deals with guys that have, you know, 50 to 60 point potential that have term left on their deal. It's, I mean, it's hard to right. make those deals with the snap at the fingers. I think the difference, I guess, between them and Columbus is they don't have Matt Barzell and Robert, Robin Leonard ready to leave at the end of the season. That's true. Yeah. Um, so they're building towards something. I, I think they have better, they believe, or they should believe that they have better days ahead of them um, in terms of roster construction and, and the, the ability to actually compete. Uh, for right now, it seems like a free roll at the table, and I would just let it ride. Well, so that the East is very fascinating because, I mean, I guess we have this race out West, but it's so pathetic at the bottom of the wild card that, like, I don't even want to spend time talking about it because it seems like it's not going to have an impact in the playoffs. Out East, I mean... This question came up today from a from a, a follower on Twitter, but it was like, which of these teams is going to miss the playoffs? Because it feels like a really good team or a team that has 
notable big names is going to be on the outside looking in just because the Islanders are taking up one of these spots that we didn't expect in the preseason. And right now the it's the Penguins. And with the Latang and Dumlin injuries that they suffered in the outdoor game against Philly, we'll see how long they're going to be out for. But man, I wanted to talk about this Eric Branson trade because <laughs> my goodness. I mean, we were waiting to get to it, right? Jesus. Uh it's it's the first thing that popped into my head was the Spider-Man meme with him and Jack Johnson oh, pointing at yeah. each other. Um, what a one-two punch! And another thing is like you just ha- you acquired Jamie Alexiak, you traded Jamie Alexiak, and now you feel like you've brought the same type of player back. I mean, like a significantly worse one somehow. They seem to yeah, a significantly worse one for sure. Um, but they seem to just have that need. They, they yeah, they do for sure. Internally, they believe that's what they need. I mean, this is a team that won a Stanley Cup. Uh, largely because they had obviously such talent up front right but they did it by flipping pucks out of the zone and having those players chase them yeah um so you know it's worked before without a whole lot of talent but this is a different lack of talent this is a guy who who might be costing you more often than not and unable to get to the pucks that are flipped out of the he's zone. actively bad and the bigger issue is this is a team that's clearly um, doesn't have a ton of financial flexibility because they do have so many stars making so much money. And I don't think that's a problem, but it is when you have like nearly $8 million, I believe, in future cap tied up to Jack Johnson and Eric Branson. It really limits your ability to do stuff. And Future cap is the killer. It is, it is. And these guys have term on their deal and, and um, they're just actively bad. Like it's not even, I know it's beating a dead horse, but it's like when you see a team that is generally considered to be pretty smart and has had success in the past. And I think people appreciate uh, Jim Rutherford not wanting to stand pat and constantly trying to improve his team. Like, I don't think Tanner Pearson is some sort of a game breaker that they're going to, you know, miss out on. But it's like, I just, I want to know what kind of conversation will happen in that room where they're like, Eric Branson's a guy that we should go out and target and we're going to call Jim Benning and just how I want to, I want to, I want I'd love to be a fly on the wall for how that entire ordeal escalated because something must have gone horribly wrong. It's interesting because I've only thought about it really from the Pittsburgh standpoint, but I mean, fans in Vancouver must be over the moon right now. I mean, you tell me. Oh, they're loving it, but it's so hilarious because you have this like weird contradiction where I think a lot of the fan base, a lot of the smarter, more educated fan base kind of sees through the BS and, and is like, Jim Benning needs to go like you know this is going way too slowly we're not getting better um and then there's this fan base that still believes in him and wants to wait it out and believes that he's this master drafter and they need to give him more time for some of these guys to develop and I think Elias Pettersson especially but also Brock Besser are are big hits for him in the draft and they're going to buy him more of a leash with the ownership group um but like one of his big moves when he came in was trading future assets to get Eric Branson and then now he's being lauded for undoing that mistake and it's like how can like how can you praise like it's 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 so bizarre to me and the same thing is sort of happening in pittsburgh i mean tanner pearson may be considered mistake and he makes another mistake by trying to erase mistake and i guess that's going to happen when you're throwing a lot at the dartboard and that's what jim rutherford's doing um and i mean it's 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 exciting it's interesting i like that jim rutherford is an active gm who's not complacent um but when you start making a string of mistakes especially when on when you're on the bubble right now and all these things matter so much um you're fortunate that you have a guy like Sidney Crosby and one of the best forward cores in the league because yeah. it's going to be on them to overcome deficiencies elsewhere for them to survive Montreal, Carolina, Columbus and actually make the playoffs this year. Yeah. 
I honestly believe that Montreal and Carolina are, are better teams at this point, but they don't have Sidney Crosby, and I'd be very terrified to uh, count out Pittsburgh just based on that alone. But just purely in terms of how they pl- they've been playing and the depth, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be fascinating. One of these teams is definitely going to miss out, and we're going to be scratching our heads and wondering what went wrong. Um, you know, Boston is is a fascinating team because they're in that race. They're, they're, they're kind of similar to Vegas. They are kind of locked in into their spot, and they know that they're going to be playing likely the Leafs in round one again. And, and so they're measuring themselves up to that, but they're also measuring themselves up to what happened last year and in the past, which is even if they get by round one, like they can't just rely on that one line and spend everything they have in the tank. And then they enter that round two series, a shell of themselves and all their guys are banged up. And so they clearly needed more depth. And I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm felt leaving, I'm left feeling a little bit like meh on their acquisitions because it feels like they left a little bit on the table. Yeah, I think so. they did uh, as well. I mean, the Charlie Coyle getting ahead of it, I, it's its good to get ahead of it, but I think maybe uh, that was a misguided move. I mean, he took up a lot of the cap space that they were able to play with. It's interesting with those th- two teams, or three teams rather, because I think Boston likes how they match up against Toronto. I think Toronto might like how they match up against Tampa, but, but Tampa likes how they match up against both. Tampa right? should like how they match up against everyone. And and I think that's a big difference. But Boston does have to worry first and foremost about Toronto. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure Marcus Johansson and Charlie Coyle make much of a difference there. I mean, we talked earlier about just breaking even might be enough. Um, but I'm I'm left wanted more a little bit. I think even with that first trade, as people were people were thinking that you you know giving up on Ryan Donato too quickly yeah. for a guy who is sort of close to the replacement level in that he's going to offer, you know, mid-range, mid-level points, have some scoring punch, do a little bit defensively, a little bit of versatility, but not a guy that's going to really do anything uh, of huge significance. And with Marcus Johansson, he hasn't been relevant in this league really since he signed that deal with Washington and was traded to New Jersey. I mean, he's dealt with a lot of injury issues. Yeah. Um, one of them he, sustained by Brad Mar- Marchand decapitating. There you him, go, the flying elbow, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a difficult for him. Um, he hasn't had that impact limited a lot with New Jersey, but not t- particularly effective when he's been in the lineup there. So, I mean, Boston seems like a a soft, you know, landing spot for a lot of players. A lot of players go there and do find some success because uh, there is those those sort of franchise pillars and the guys that are just continuing to keep that train rolling pretty well. Um, But I think they could have been a little bit flashier. Yeah, I guess it's unfair because, you know, they're not going to part with Jake Dabrowski and I don't blame them and maybe they don't have the um, talent to replicate this. But, like, I wish they would have gone out and gotten Michael Granlund instead. Like, I think he would be the perfect player as, like, a second-line wing that could play play off of David Krejci and Mm -hmm. give them another playmaker like that. Like, pretty much just regurgitate what we said about why we love Granlund as a fit in Nashville. And Boston's kind of the same. Like, they need that type of player. And I'm not sure if they had the assets to go out and get it, so they kind of did a half measure instead and gave up a prospect and a second and a fourth to get a couple of these guys and try to patch it together. But it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it's not enough to make me feel comfortable that they're going to be able to get by both the Leafs and the Bolts in succession. That's why it's it's difficult to really criticize and look back at and be really fair to the situation because we laud teams that go out and get their job get the job done early, go get a guy that maybe could fit into the roster uh, quicker and, and be ready for playoff time. But you wonder if Granlin ever did come up because yeah. if Granlin came up and you prioritize Coil, 
that's a little bit strange to me, and I think they could have easily paid similar prices. I think Jake DeBrusque, obviously, they made the right call in keeping him. Yeah, I guess they didn't have like a Kevin Fiala type beyond yeah, DeBrusque, uh, yeah. who's like that young guy who provides the ceiling, because I don't think Donato is that type of player. But did that ever come? Yeah. Or did they ever talk about that? Because maybe they're looking back now, and they didn't know that that was even an option, and you missed out on a guy who we both agree probably fits in a little bit well, better that's the problem when we when we jump to conclusions as fans and as analysts and you go like you 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 rail on a team for not doing a certain thing and i remember this came up on like saturday night when uh the rangers traded away zuccarello and they got back you know a second and a third and they're both conditional but they're probably not going to be upgraded and although a lot of rangers fans are like oh my god like i can't believe like that's all they got and it's like well if that's all a team is offering you um you don't really have much leverage because if you're the rangers you have this impending aging veteran who's clearly not in your future plans. Like, what are you going to prove a point and, and draw a hard line and be like, well, if we don't get what we want and deem satisfactory, we're just going to keep them. That's not how this business works. So unless someone is offering something better and we know for certain that they turned it down, then it's kind of tough to be super critical because we don't know what went on behind the scenes. That's why I'm really happy that Ottawa uh, managed to get a deal done involving Mark Stone because I wouldn't have wanted to see a point where, okay, nothing worked out they didn't get the deal they wanted and they sold them off for pennies on the dollar and it really like it started a revolt if there hadn't started already right. among waters um ottawa senators fans um I, but they did get the deal done i mean because you'd then be weighing oh we only got this but our we still have the chance to resign them but right. we don't have that discussion now i mean they they got i think the right value on that deal but it's all about that that specific player involved it's what's it's but that specific player involved and what another team is willing to pay thankfully for the ottawa senators uh, they're going to get a really good prospect out of it when i wasn't so certain that was going to happen yeah and it did i mean to put a bow on it it does seem like a lot of the stuff that we expected did eventually happen i know it took a long time to get there but other than i guess maybe like the jimmy howard thing we talked about like it seems weird that he's still on detroit because he's an expiring guy and he's aging but other than that i mean like even like a michael furland i mean Carolina technically can consider themselves a playoff candidate and keeping Michael Furland might be in their best interest if they weren't going to get a fascinating prospect or, or pick back in return. So I don't necessarily blame them for keeping him and going for it this year. So it seems like a lot of the names that did need to be moved eventually did, and, and I'm glad. So it gives us a lot to talk about, and this is an exciting time of the period. It, it's a bit cathartic now. Like, I can finally sleep, <laughs> and I can put away my phone and not – wake up in the middle of the night refreshing Twitter to see if something's going to happen and I feel like I'm going to miss out. Um, so I'm happy about that. And now we've got a couple of weeks here, uh, uh, maybe six weeks or whatever, until the playoffs where we're going to see how these new acquisitions fit on their teams and reevaluate the hierarchy. I mean, we kind of power rank that Western Conference and obviously there's going to be a lot to be determined here before the playoffs in terms of seeding and in terms of how those new acquisitions look. Yeah, we got a whole new set of things to talk about. about. I mean, goodness, yeah. there's... The NHL season does get a little bit dry in the in the sense that there's not much to talk about in the in the months that do lead up to this moment where players do or teams do decide what exactly they want to do. Now we have 20 games to see how all these moves do impact uh, how these teams have sort of ranked themselves over the last four or five months, and then playoff time. And obviously, we're going to have a whole all these other things to talk about when we see how these moves and what these teams have done to this point uh count how yeah. they count yeah well exciting times i'm looking forward to it man um plug some stuff what uh what are you working on these days what do you what do you what do you got on the horizon and uh 
what are what are we doing so forward? yeah i guess I mean, you, gotta, you gotta lump yourself in on this yeah, now i mean now? you know uh we're building out uh trying to build out our portfolio here at yahoo sports obviously having your podcast on is is a big part of that uh we're going to be doing a lot of traveling during the playoffs mm-hmm. until then we're going to be you know following all the uh, all the important things that are happening happening and uh, i do spend a lot of time at scotia bank arena because we're in toronto or i'm in toronto here uh at yahoo sports and uh we always have our eye on the maple leaves but uh we'll be covering everything over the next six weeks or so well i'm excited for it man um i'm glad to be part of the team and um i imagine we'll be doing many more of these shows in the weeks and months to come including the postseason so i'm looking forward to it um thanks for coming on the show and uh let's go uh let's get a beer and let's get some rest yeah it's been a long day all right man Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. Mm-hmm.